Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is the Broken Light Show. You've stumbled across a treasure trove of interesting information and fun times to be had. My name is Dave Mantell. This is my show. Um, those things that I said before, just forget those. This is the most boring show on the internet, but you know what? I like it, so we're going to keep doing it. Some of you guys might like it too. Uh, man, self-deprecation, right? Like five people have already stopped listening to the episode. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. This is where this is not, this is not going somewhere that I find interesting. <laughs> I'm getting so good at these show intros, I'll tell you what. Regardless, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, William Price III is on the show. He's a filmmaker, a father, husband to a touring musician full-time, and uh, lives in Nashville doing some really cool things. He's got a film coming out called To Catch a Falling Knife, and we talk about that. And it's really great. He's a really nice dude. And his film is going to be great. You can check it out on Kickstarter right now. So right now, even before we get to the uh, interview, you can go on Kickstarter and check out To Catch a Falling Knife. It's his film. It's being funded right now. And you guys uh, should go check out some of the perks. We got um, some really cool things going on in that. I said we like like I'm a part of it, but I just meant like we as in he, you know, the other thing. There's some cool stuff, though. Audrey Assad is doing the uh, soundtrack. Matthew Kidd is uh, doing some remixes of the soundtrack as perks for the Kickstarter. He's a really cool dude. Um, you guys should check that out. Before we get to uh, that conversation, though, I wanted to talk about something. I've, I've prepared very little for this segment because this is something that I'm actively processing, so I'm just going to like verbally puke over all of you. Um, and it's going to be great. You're going to love it. Um, but I wanted to, to kind of talk about um, social media and especially for us artists, um, how we are currently using social media. And is it the best thing that we could be doing or, or are we doing the best with the things that are available to us? Um, there's so much, so much. When I say so much, I mean like way too much um stuff on the internet that's like ways that independent artists can leverage their social media or five tips to help you grow your fan base using social media or 10 ways that you can grow use social media to become the biggest jerk on the internet uh, you know there's just there's so much stuff so many opinions and it seems like almost unanimously um, people are on this uh, thought train that uh, social media is the way to engage your followers now um if you're an artist you know you're making something and the way that you promote yourself is uh through social media through facebook through twitter through youtube and podcasts and you know what have you i love all of those things don't get me wrong um i use twitter so much and i have this podcast and i do that so much once a week in fact um, and I think that those things can be really great. Like I, almost everybody that has been on the show so far are people, you know, all the guests that I've had on are people that I've met through, um, social media, 
which is crazy for me to think about, but all of these artists that I've come into contact with are just people that I meet online and, you know, we hit it off or in some cases I creepily write them uh, this email and I say, I know exactly what you're all about and I think that we'd be about the same things and so can you come on the show? And so I'm not saying that those things are wrong. I'm just saying that maybe entertain this idea for a second. I think that we should be questioning the way that we do things all the time in life, but especially in our art. And the question that I want to raise today is, are we using social media correctly or in the best way, um, the way that we do it currently? And so currently the model is something like uh, you have a thing. We'll just say, we're talking with William Price today about his movie. So let's just say I have a movie and it's called, um, it's called the broken light movie, man. That's a lame, I would never call my movie that, but let's just say for instance, broken light movie is coming out. And, uh, so then I make a, a Twitter and a Facebook and a, a website and a YouTube channel and a Pinterest. I don't even know what a Pinterest does, but I would probably make one and a Tumblr and you know, a blog spot and all of these things for the broken light movie. And then I will continue to, uh, send people to those places. I'll be posting up there. We got a movie coming out and this is what it is. Maybe I'll put up, you know, pictures of the poster or, um, pictures from behind the scenes or little movie, you know, like video clips of me telling you about what's happening. Or if we have a crowdfunding campaign that goes up, I'll, tell you about that and all kinds of stuff and uh the issue is that literally every other creative person that has a thing is doing that same thing for their thing let me be more specific if you're a creative person you probably have at least one or two social media accounts per like on per um medium so like twitter you might have one or two or three in my case i think i have like six that i'm sitting on i don't use them all but they're four things potentially you know you have the same thing with facebook you can make as many pages as you want for your stuff and like maybe you run a venue out of your apartment or your band or your movies coming out and so you have a director's page and a movie page and you know all this stuff and every creative person has like so much stuff and the result has been we think that we have to cut through the noise because there's so much noise there's so much noise for um, people who want to consume things you know your potential fan base they want to you want them to be able to find you and so you have to figure out how to cut through all of the everybody else that is um you know posting about their broken light movie and their broken light podcast and their broken light Twitter and you know, all of that stuff. I'm just like, follow me, follow me, follow me. And, um, sometimes we get so wrapped up in that as, as creators, as, as artists, sometimes we get so caught up in trying to create a fan base by marketing ourselves that we forget or, or, we are unable to balance the creative side of things like 
our movie that we're making or like our band that we're in or like our photographs that we're taking we're unable to balance those things with the self-promotion kind of stuff and the um the way that we interact with people online sometimes that the interaction with people online becomes the thing that we're good at instead of the thing that we started using the social media for in the first place and i think that that's um just a disservice to ourselves and in the end you know you're not going to be you're not going to have longevity if that's what's going on if you're just good at promoting yourself um you see this in in local bands all the time or i i do anyway you see local bands who are really good at promoting themselves and then you go to a show and uh they're just average you know the band is average or you know whatever but they can get a lot of people to the show because they know how to leverage their social media or you know how to talk to um venue operators or things like that to be able to get onto these bills um but usually those bands are like the opener bands you know what i mean like they can they can draw 20 people to a show and they can open for they can open for the real good band but they're never actually going to have uh, a long career in what they're doing because it, all of their time and focus is spent on marketing themselves instead of actually trying to make a good good thing a good um like good art and i think it's naive to say if i just make a good thing that people will will find it i don't think that we live in that kind of world anymore where just good art can you know you just like put it up on the internet and not ever talk about it with anybody or like anything and someone will find it and it'll go on a blog and that blog will talk about it and other people will pick it up and then it'll just become this thing. I don't think that that really works anymore. At least it's if it does work, it's very, very rarely that it works. Um, and it's usually, in my experience, stuff that looks like it happens that way is kind of manufactured. Um, that's another topic for another time. But I think it's important that we, as artists, keep in mind the thing that we're actually trying to do. Are you trying to grow the biggest fan base and have the biggest um, following? Or are you trying to make art and make the thing inside of you that desperately wants to be made? The thing, the muse, we, t we call that sometimes the thing that can't help but be created. And I think sometimes it's it's really easy to to start on the road and you know get started with chasing the muse and trying to make that thing that's inside of us that needs to be made, you know, whatever it is, the film or the the album or the song or the picture or the portrait, you know, the painting, whatever. And we start off down that path and, and all of a sudden fame and notoriety and influence, they all become factors and those things are really attractive and sometimes necessary. You know, if you're thinking to yourself, I want to be able to do this for a long time, you have to figure out how do I make this um, viable, you know, financially, which that's, if you're like, 
a really creative person, those are the conversations that creative people really hate to have uh, most of the time. It's like the the money talks or like the viability talks. And I think that it's a it's a trap that we fall into then once we start having those conversations that that becomes the main thing. We think that we have to focus on creating a, a viable model for ourselves and constantly keeping that up at the expense of the creative thing that we're doing in the first place, you know, chasing the muse. And so I want to encourage you guys, and, and I think that you'll hear some of this in, in my conversation with William in just a minute. I want to encourage you to make the things that need to be made that are living inside of you that are just trying to to burst out. And I want you to think about self-promotion and you know crowd building and, and fan base uh, augmentation. All of those things should come second. And I want us to focus on, as a community, just making the things that, that need to be made, you know, because at the end of the day, if that's what happens, if, if you're like, I'm going to focus on making this thing that's inside of me and I'm going to get it out and then, you know, what happens, happens, then I think we have a more honest product. And when it comes around to eventually doing the self-promotion kind of stuff and like engaging with people about the thing that we've made, we have something that's worth, that's worth cutting through the noise for that's worth getting people's attention over. I think that's a a mistake that a lot of young artists make. And a lot of people who are just starting out, they think, well, I'll just, I'll start promoting myself. I don't really have any content or I don't have any, um, anything to offer right now, but I have these really great ideas and I'm just going to start, I'm just going to start building a fan base and, and then I'll, I'll be able to put myself out there and uh, I'm just going to market myself. And then eventually something will happen and I'll have a song and I'll be able to give that to people. And, and before you know it, all of these sacrifices are being made to the original thing that drove them in the first place. And what you're left with is just, you know, mediocre, you know, content. It's not even art at that point. It's just, it's just stuff. It's just noise and it's not really worth anything. And and people notice that. So be true to following the muse and remember what got you into doing the thing that you're doing in the first place, whether that's painting or, you know, making videos or shooting photography, making songs, jumping off of buildings. I don't know what your thing is. But remember what got you into it in the first place. Maybe go back and listen to those records that got you into it or watch that movie that got you into it. Listen to that interview that that turned the switch on and get back to the root of that and then go and make something. Make something your 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 people will still be there. You know, they're not going anywhere. Go and make something without thinking about them. Just think about yourself. Make the most selfish thing that you can make. And see where that ends up. You know, maybe maybe you put it out, maybe you don't. But that's not the point. The point is that you're going to make the thing that you want to make, the most selfish piece of art, self-indulgent, whatever, and get that out and see what it is. You know, sometimes it's really easy to um, to think that we have an idea and then we go to make something and something completely different comes out because that's the thing that needed to be made. And you take a look at it and 
it's outside of yourself for the first time and then it makes sense, you know, or sometimes it doesn't make sense. And then you just, you know, move on to the next thing and uh, maybe you come back to it, maybe you don't. But I think that stepping away from all of the noise and all of the, the self-promotion buzz, social media, getting away from that for a little bit, I think would be a positive. Um, I'm going to try and do that. You guys are welcome to uh, to join me or not. You know, maybe you'll disagree. Maybe you think that everything I just said is, is just super naive and that I'm an idiot or whatever. I don't really care. I'm just going to keep doing the thing that I'm doing. But if you really do care and you want to, you know, write me an angry email, you can totally do that. Or, you know, you can write me a nice email too. I don't, I don't really care. You can write me at brokenlightrecords at gmail.com or uh, you can just drop me a little note on, on the Twitter. You know, if you're, <laughs> after all of that, if you're still into social media, tweet at me at David Mantel. And, uh, you know, we can talk about this stuff. Maybe uh, send me a, a DM and we can have it out or just bounce ideas off of each other. You know, collaboration is good. It's healthy. It's important. If this is your first time listening to the show, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm, my name is Dave Mantell, and this is the Broken Light Show. And uh, up next, we have William Price III. He's making a cool movie, and he's crowdfunding it right now. You can go and look it up on Kickstarter as we're talking about it. You can check out the trailer there. It's called To Catch a Falling Knife. Um, it's really, it's a really cool concept. You guys will hear all about it in a second. Um, if this is something, you know, conversation that maybe... Uh, you're into hearing about, you know, passionate about, you can head over to iTunes and uh, subscribe to this podcast. There are new episodes every Wednesday. They just magically show up. And if you push subscribe on iTunes, they'll just show up. It You don't even have to do anything. You don't have to search for them. You don't have to click on anything else. You just subscribe and boom, there they are. You've got them. And uh, we can keep having this conversation um, that I think is important. Maybe some of you guys do too. If uh, this isn't your first time listening and maybe you've been listening for a while and um, you want to get involved with the show, the quickest and easiest thing that you can do is also on the iTunes page for the show. There's a little section that says reviews. You can click on it. Um, give me a, a star rating. There's like a, a one to five stars. Um, so far, everyone that's rated the show has given it five stars, which is really nice. It's a nice thing to have. They've said some really nice things. You can go on there read some of the reviews for the show. Um, that's a, a really great way that you can be involved in how the show works and, um, you know, getting it to uh, be seen by more people. So if you're into that, head over to uh, iTunes, search for The Broken Light Show, and uh, give us a review if you like it. If you don't like it, that's fine too. You can leave a review. I'm not trying to filter or, uh, you know, discriminate against bad reviews. I'm just saying that Every review has been a five-star review, so, you know, take that as you will. William Price is coming up right now. going to have a quick break, and then uh, we'll have this great conversation. Stay tuned.
thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Are we on the show right now already? Uh, I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's all it's all editing and you know magic. Yeah. So, why don't you introduce yourself and talk about you know what it is you do because you do so much. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do a little too much. Uh, <laughs> so my name is William Price, and um, I uh, I'll, I like to think of myself as a filmmaker. Uh, that's the thing that I do that I'm the most excited about and passionate about. Um, I do some work in the music industry. I do some creative direction. Uh, my wife is a full-time musician, so I get dragged around quite a bit by her and uh, her comings and goings, and she's got quite a bit of energy and momentum going in her career, which is really exciting. Um, and it, but it, you know, sometimes requires a lot of flexibility and traveling and stuff like that. So, um, <clears throat> it kind of works out though, cause I've always had a very entrepreneurial spirit and, um, you know, a steady paycheck has never meant all that much to me. Honestly, I tend to work for work. You know, I like always think about the next job and how exciting that job's going to be. And if I can just pay my bills to get from here to there, then I'm like game. And, um, so, um, but yeah, the last, uh, last few years, last two or three years particularly, I've had the chance to do some kind of cool film projects that are not just, uh, like commercials, but are a product in themselves. And that's kind of where I'm trying to go. You know, I want to make movies. I want to, I love movies. Um, I was just talking to someone today about how I always like feel like I'm being like cliche or like like when I say like I love movies, people are like yeah, everybody loves movies. You know what I mean? It's like no, but I like really love like (laughs) I will I will like I want to like bleed and sweat to make movies. You know what I mean? Like um, so that's that's kind of me in a nutshell right now, I guess. Um, I have a little kid, a little nine month old boy, and uh, that's awesome, and. Pain in the ass, but it's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, he's man. the best, man. He's so cool. So, yeah, that's a crazy. That's a crazy age, like nine months old, and then you're like trying to do all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a juggling act right now. You know, um, my wife's got a new project she's trying to launch. We got the kid. I got the stuff I'm trying to do. We bring a babysitter in when we can afford one, and we hang out with him when we can't, and we bring him along to stuff. And he's going to have to be the most flexible little guy because, I mean, he's already been. We added it up. So by the time he was nine months, by the time he was like eight months, he had been to both coasts. He'd been to Canada twice. Um, he had been to I think we I think we added up to like thirty something states. Um, cause he went out on the road with my wife on tour, you know, like he had been in New York city like two times. He had been to West Palm beach. He had been, you know, like, it's like more life experience than I have already. <laughs> yeah. Like he's more, he's more well-traveled than I think um, all of my parents combined. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's crazy. Um, how do you how do you guys like manage that or like because it's it's new like having a kid is new for you right so like right what what are the the things that you're doing to like make sure you're are you are you putting up like checks and balances in places for that kind of stuff or is it just kind of like flying by the seat of pants like um as far as just that life balance like um he's got a pretty 
regular bedtime and I try to if I'm gonna work late I try to come home like at least an hour before he goes to bed so I can see him for a little bit help out and then I'll put him to bed and then open up the computer like right now like he's in bed already you know um, but uh, <clears throat> my wife and I we've always tried to keep keep it to like 10 days is the longest we go in separate you know states basically yeah. And um, with him, we've tried to shorten that to seven, um, especially right now for the next five years because it's like when kids are just like infants or toddlers, they change so much and you just don't want to miss it, you know. Um, but then other than that, man, it's just like a lot of conversation, you know, about what's going on, who needs to put time into work, you know, like if my wife's like, I really need to get out of the house an extra day or I have a good writing opportunity, uh, something like that, then um, I try to step up, you know, and, and help out with him. But um, I think it's, you know, it's, I, I, I don't know, like parenting is is a, it, no matter what your value system is, you end up putting that on your kids. And so for us, like we really, we value uh, art and we value both of my wife and I individually, we value the part of ourselves that wants to make art, and that requires a lot, especially um, in this age where you have to, if you're going to make art, you have to also sell the art. And I don't know if that's different in every day and age, but you know, we, we live in a very capitalist, consumerist society, and so art is ex expected to be like easily consumable, you know. So you have to find your audience, you have to connect with people, and you have to make a living off of it, otherwise you don't make a living. And um, and so we value that part of ourselves, but we don't, um, you know, maybe put the pressure on us ourselves that some people do that, like, everything has to be just so, or we have to have, you know, uh, a certain income that meets somebody else's standards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as long as he's you know, being cared for and he's eating and he's, you got the medical, you know, attention, like he's getting to the doctor and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, we're just going to do our best. So, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll screw him up, but we're going to try not to. So. Maybe not. Yeah. But maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> That's like every parent though. Like yeah. I'm at, I'm at an age where like all my friends are getting married and having babies now. And that's kind of like the general consensus is like, um, yep, we're going to try this thing and yeah. figure it out. <laughs> well, he's our first. And it's like the weirdest thing in the world is when you leave the hospital and they're just like, okay, bye. <laughs> it's very, it's a very strange, like you're like, I was, I remember, like literally was walking out of the hospital carrying him in his car seat thing, like thinking, is someone going to stop me at some point? Because, like, what if he's not my kid? Like, how do they know he's my kid? And how do they know I can possibly... Like, I think the literally the standard for leaving the hospital is you have to show that you know how to buckle him into the car seat. That's, that's like, your your job is done. Now go. <laughs> you know? And uh, so the first few nights, I just remember just, like, staring at him constantly. Like, please take another breath. Okay, we made it through that three seconds. Now take another... You know, like, I don't know... I don't know what you need. I've never had a human before, but here, you know, right? Yeah, here it is. So, cool. Well, it sounds like a like a hell of a ride, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know, 
it's awesome. It's the coolest thing ever. And some of my friends that have had kids since, I've told them, like, the difficulties are pretty intense, especially early on with not sleeping and stuff like that. But I've never been so motivated just from my gut, you know, of like 2 a.m., waking up again, and rather than being pissed off, it's just like, what does he need? I don't really mind. I just want him to have whatever he needs, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't do that for a friend. <laughs> for sure. I wouldn't, you know, I'm not that good of a friend. I'd be like, you need to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's jump back a little bit. We like dove right in there. Um, but so you're not only a dad, but you're also uh, an artist and you're a filmmaker and you've got this huge project going on right now on Kickstarter. You're making a, a film. Mm-hmm. Um, you should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so uh, I, I guess uh, just starting from the, the origin of the whole thing, um, a few years ago I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of cancer. And uh, I had just been married six months and got the diagnosis. And um, actually, my wife and I were moving back to Nashville three days later, and it was just really intense and crazy. And uh, thank God, uh, six months of chemo later, uh, I was given a no evidence of disease diagnosis, uh, and so far still have no evidence of disease. And I've got, I think, two more years left before they'll say I'm cured, because uh, they don't say cured until you're five years clear. And uh, that experience is really crazy. Um, confronting death, I was 27 or 28. I was 28 when I was diagnosed. And, uh, you know, so I was still in my 20s. I still was, I just got married. I hadn't even gotten used to that. Um, and, uh, and you know, what I, what I had was, was like, for as far as cancer goes, was mild. Um, but it still asked some pretty big questions and, puts you in a pretty tough situation and chemo is no joke and it's no fun. And, and so, um, so I I went through that and I never really had an opportunity to work that out artistically, which is something that I know that I need to do in life when I have a major life experience. If, if I don't process it through making something at some point, then I never really process it all the way. And, uh, so there's this story idea that I'd been wrestling with for a while and kept coming up and kept coming up and it started to take more shape and more shape and it's a little bit of a science fiction idea. It's actually um it's actually more of if you if you like you can go to Wikipedia and see this. Before science fiction there was a genre called science fantasy and one of the subgenres of that is an end of world story. And that's what, so that's what it is. Um, so it's a little bit of a throwback in that way. And it's a story about the sun, which is, you know, millions of uh, nuclear explosions per second. It, you know, it, it's this insane ball of explosions that never changes. Uh, it destabilizes and starts to heat and grow. And so everyone on Earth basically receives... Uh, fatal diagnosis at the same time. They sort of all realize there's no, there's no escaping this. And, um, and so the, the, the story that I've been working on is the story of a family that works that out together, um, fights through that, wrestles through that, argues through that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a small budget, so it's not like a big scope 
crazy sci-fi. It's like a really intimate family movie, but it's got this kind of intense, insane uh, scenario around them. And uh, so I've been saving money for it for a while, and um, the viewers can't, but you can see my kitchen behind me is the worst kitchen in the world. And the, there's two things I want in the world more than anything else. One is to make this movie, and the other is a new kitchen. <laughs> and I want to make the movie just that much more because I've saved up a bunch of, not a bunch, but for me a bunch of money. And I'm not putting it into the kitchen. I'm putting it into this. And uh, But I realized that I needed to do a Kickstarter because there's a limit on what I can do with the money that I have. And, uh, and the story wants to go in a direction that, would require a little bit more in terms of resources. Um, and uh, so I want to take the story there. And if I can't pull the funds together, then I have to, you know, dial it back. And who knows? I mean, that limitation could spark, you know, something really cool creatively. Uh, but right now I just feel convinced that the right thing for the story is going to require a little bit more cash. So so the, the story, the film's called To Catch a Falling Knife. And um, which you know is that old adage, don't try to catch a falling knife because uh, you'll cut yourself. And um, they use it in, in uh, economics a lot when they talk about trying to predict when a stock is going to bottom out. And so you go buy a bunch of stock thinking it's going to rebound, but it, it'll keep falling on you and then you'll go bankrupt. And um, so it's kind of this idea of, you know, when we try to stop bad things from happening, sometimes worse things can happen, and uh, so there's a level of acceptance that life requires of us uh, that we're not completely in control. You know, uh, I don't know. The, the The movie doesn't really have a, a moral. It's not a. There's not. It's not a message. It's but it's an ex exploration of these feelings that I have. So, what made you decide? So, like you're you're deciding to put this together, and you're seeing that the story needs to go in this direction. Kickstarter, like crowdfunding, um, is such a, an interesting thing to talk about with people. We have people on the show all the time that do crowdfunding. We just did something for the show, had a Kickstarter, and it was successful. What made you want to go that route? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm surround, I live in Nashville. My wife's a musician. I'm surrounded by musicians. And I'm really a big believer and directive fan for musicians. Uh, we've th there are difficulties in the music industry that are very difficult, but and we won't go into a big music industry conversation. But I, I do believe that um, there's never been a better time to make music with no boundaries whatsoever and no extra voices and have a relatively small audience and pay your bills. Uh, it, it's really pretty incredible, you know. If you can sell, if you can make a record every two years and sell 25,000 copies and tour, you know, and play a few dozen shows a year that all make a little money, you can live a blue-collar life. You can have health insurance, you know. Like, that's incredible. And the film industry is this behemoth of an industry that I would love to break into at one point. I'm not really af afraid of it, but I'm not in a place in my life where I can move to L.A. and run that race. And so I think I've been inspired 
by the people that I've been able to watch make music and di directly connect to their fans and talk to them on Twitter and talk to them on Facebook and hear people say, this song specifically means this to me, you know, that direct conversation is really encouraging to me. It's really exciting to me. And when I make stuff, the, the most important thing in the world is that it connects to people in a real way. And not even that it connects the way I thought it would, but just that it does in any way. And so this seemed like a great opportunity for me to um, reach out to some of the people that I know, some of the people I don't know, um, some of the people that I've, you know, at replied with like five or six times like you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and try to say, you know, can we do something together and can I do something that you can enable and then I could put it in your hands and then you can email me and tell me that sucked or that was awesome or that part was super badass or that part was really heartbreaking or whatever, you know, that to me is uh, kind of like best case scenario to me, you know, to be able to make a movie that people believe in and have chosen that they want to believe in and then for them to send it to them and have them experience it and be able to give me direct feedback is a really cool thing. I don't think I could handle that at like a feature film level. I think I would it would be emotional overload and I would have anxiety attacks. But at, at this level with, you know, talking about a few hundred, maybe a thousand or so people, it seems like a really intimate and cool way to make and share and experience art with someone, you know? Is that something that you talked about basing this experience kind of on your musician friends? Do you have other people that you know that do film and do um, like visual stuff that are kind of like in the same vein you guys are having this conversation or is it kind of just like you're by yourself? Uh, well, I mean, I do know people in the film community, um, both here in Nashville and in Los Angeles. Um, some of my best friends are out in L.A. doing really amazing things. One of my friends just did his first feature, and um, I think he's, like, locking the edit on that sometime soon. And um, a friend of mine's a music video producer. And then here in town, I know some folks that do music videos, know some folks that do commercials. Um, and I actually rent a desk in an office space from some guys uh, who have a company called Identity Visuals, and they do narrative-based brand films. Uh, so mostly for web, but they do you know 30, 60, 90 second spots. And they hire me as a director. We get to work together, and they do some cool things on their own. And so there is that film community uh, for me that exists, um, but. No, but there's not a lot of conversation go around like the idea of direct to fan in the film industry, and I think it's just an expenses thing. I mean, any any more your low budget movies are ten million dollars. You know, I mean, nobody's making movies for that are that are reasonably distributed. You know, for less than a million, and. Um, and when, when there's like one every few years, somebody makes one on a micro budget and it's a really big deal, you know. Um, but I think, it. I don't know if it scales, you know. And I think that people are, um, everybody's hustling, you know, pretty hard just to get budgets just to make stuff. 
at all. Uh, and it takes, I think it's a unique position to be in where I love being on set, so I'm cool with music videos and commercials. I would That would be a cool career for me. I would love to have that be my only thing career-wise for a while. But the end goal for me is narrative, and not everybody is a writer. And so, like at heart, you know, I'm I'm probably not a good writer right now, but I'm I'm working on it. But I'm I think, I think that's what I am. And so, you know, if you're a DP or you're a motion graphics guy, or you're a director but not a writer, um, you're just looking for good material to work off of, you know. And so, if somebody comes with you with a cool product and a reasonable budget and says, "Work on this," you're like, "Yeah, I'll work on that," you know. Um, and so I don't I don't know a whole, a whole lot of people like me who uh, are, I don't know, um, trying to get off the beaten path. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't want to sound like I think I'm so unique. I think I'm just trying to make a lane for myself to make things and that's what everybody's doing. You know, this is just the way I'm doing it. I think that's like any creative person, you know, it's just like trying to do the thing that they're, that they're doing. And music is, is one of those like wild west kind of places right now. And I think film is going in that direction too, where if you, this is like my outside perspective on the thing, but it's like, if you have um, like an original idea, you're almost like as a writer or <clears throat> as a producer, you're not going to get picked up by a major studio anymore because you have to have like a cinematic universe for your idea or whatever. And it's like, right. is this marketable like for five or 10 years? Can I be making money off of this? And if it's not, then you're kind of screwed right now. And so I think it's interesting to see guys like you um, who are, they have this this passion and this idea to go forward with. And they're just kind of like, well, I'm just going to figure it out for myself and do what I need to do to make the thing. That's really cool. Yeah. Like, um, have you seen Midnight in Paris? Yeah. Woody Allen movie? Yep. My wife and I just watched that the other day and, uh, it's super good. And, uh, there's a few surrealist guys, you know, the, in mm-hmm. that movie and a couple of them are filmmakers. They're like hanging out with Dolly in the creamery. And, uh, anyway, um, I, I didn't. I don't really know a whole lot about surrealism, especially that going that far back to like silent film and the the dawn of sound in movies. So I was doing some research on that, and um, these guys were making their living making like eight minute films, and because film was such a unique medium, nobody had a TV. Cinemas weren't prolific at that point. If you made an eight-minute film, you could put it in a, into like a museum, or you could put it, you could put it on display, and ha- and people would come, and it'd just be like eight minutes long. But I was just so blown away that you that like the the origin of movie making was guys, especially in France anyway, it was guys with really avant-garde, super weird, artsy, surreal ideas that were like dreaming up this crazy stuff. And then finding a way to buy reels of black and white film, shoot it, uh, light it, act it, you know, uh, develop it, edit it, and then show it. Um, 
and that to me is 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 inspiring. You know, the climate is different now. Video is everywhere. You can't you know escape it. Um, it's incredibly you know ubiquitous. Um, so there's a different climate, but at the same time, it's sort of uh, you live a really frustrated life if you're just thinking, well, somebody's going to come along and greenlight my dreams. You know, they're not going to. And if when film didn't exist as an industry in France, these guys were able to do whatever they want. I mean, they dreamed up some weird stuff and they made it work. Then, uh, then I, like I ought to be able to make it work if it's what I really want to do. You know, and I don't necessarily mean financially. I just mean making it. You know, just getting it made. Film isn't the only thing that you do. I'm I'm reaching back in the archives here, but I think you were uh, involved in a family of apps, right? For like iPhone and stuff. Yeah, I I um so back in the day when I was avoiding filmmaking because it scared me, um, I studied a little bit of like interactive design and development, and I worked for a while in a Ruby on Rails shop doing agile development and I was a front end developer. And then when I left there, uh, I did that because I my, got married and my wife and I went on tour together and I needed something to fill the time. And, um, I've always been a terrible freelancer. I'm, for some reason I can't get work. So <laughs> I needed something to fill the time. So I partnered up with a friend of mine and we made an app called pick two and, uh, it w went really well. We had like, a I think in the first year and a half, we had like 40,000 paid downloads. We have, I think, 90,000 free downloads that we did in like a promotional weekend. Uh, the model Coca Rocha went on USA Today on their website. They interviewed her and they asked her what her favorite app was, and she said it was Pick2, which was really wild. <laughs> um, and uh, so then we followed it up with another app and. Um, and then kind of parted ways. Uh, the developer I was working with really wanted to go into like a startup mentality. And I really wanted to do like one-off products. Like Pick2 does this. And then this app does this. And kind of just self-contained little fun tools. Yeah. And he really wanted to go off and do more of a, you know, let's build a whole social environment. Let's build a community. Let's build something that um, we can monetize in different ways and and that's cool but it's not what I wanted to do and we lived in different cities so we parted ways and he's since done a couple apps uh, without me uh, for photos one was called Moxie uh, and I'm not sure what's going on with that on his side but actually right now for the last year I've been working full-time for a startup called Check123 which is for musicians and it's a uh, web and, and mobile app um, that is uh, really meant to serve as like a management and administrative tool for musicians. There's also a com component of connecting people um, and helping people kind of take their whole music career and put it into one place so they can get organized. Um, and that's been a really cool project, uh, working on that with a few other people. And that's been my day job for the last year, and I've really enjoyed it. And we're getting close to launch. and so, um, I ha yeah, it's like, it's funny, like most people who are in that, it's like, that's the thing they've always wanted to do. And 
you know, it's because it, usually they're in like San Francisco or something in you know, New York City or whatever, and it's super highly competitive. But since we're doing it for musicians, it works out because I get to be in Nashville and I'm working really hard on it, but also kind of chill about like I'm not trying to plant my flag and become a celebrity uh, startup guy. I'm just trying to build something that works for people, you know, uh, yeah. which is really where I'm more comfortable being. So, you said you you started doing that when you were afraid to uh, to get into film. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that everybody kind of relates to, or creative people will relate to that. Yeah, I remember the first time that I watched a movie and and like had my ears pinned back, in the sense that it was more than just a flick, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was I saw Magnolia when I was 16 at home. I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it at home, and I just was like, oh, wait a second, this is like real. You know, this isn't just fun. This is says something about my life. Um, but I, at the time, I wanted to be a rock star, and uh, it was not a very good musician. And so <laughs> I didn't get into Belmont, and I was living. I grew up in Indiana. Didn't get into Belmont, and didn't know what to do with my life. And sort of realized a light bulb went off, and I realized, like, you know, I, I've always been really fired up about film and. I watch old movies, and I don't know anybody that watches old movies. And when people ask me if I liked a movie, and I go on and on about what I liked or didn't like about it, they all they always gloss over. And so maybe there's something there. And I had started making little films, and I was going to a church that I like needed help with little video stuff, and I had been doing that and really enjoying it. So I ended up going to Phoenix, Arizona, because I had a couple connections, and it was like basically come out here and work for free and if you learn and or get any good at the job we'll start to pay you you know and so I went out there and I got a job and I started doing that and a few months went by and they started paying me as a PA and then I got to do some production coordination and I got to do some AD work and but I never um, well what would happen was I would go out I would go on jobs and people would be like you know these like salty old grips you know they'd be like you're pretty good kid what's your deal and I'd be like oh I don't know man I'm just working and they're like what do you, yeah but what do you want to do you want to be you know you want to be like a salty old grip like me <laughs> I'd be like well I mean I want to write and direct and they'd be like oh screw you and they'd like walk <laughs> away they'd be like you're like you're an ass you know because they'd be like everybody wants to direct give up on it be a grip learn how to take my job you know and I actually really respect those positions. Those guys work extremely hard, and it's um, it's a craft, you know. It's a it's a grind, and there's something kind of cool about that. And I actually love being on set because I love rolling up my sleeves. Like I'm the kind of director who, if I like move this thing, like I'll run over and like you know, because I I like it. It's I don't like sitting down at a computer every day all day, but at the same time, uh, it's not. It's not my ambition. And so I, after hearing that kind of stuff enough times and not uh, being able to figure out the financial side of it, of getting out of my crappy coffee shop job to, like, become a full-time, you know, on-set guy, I sort of took a lot of that to heart, I think. And, um, and so I, I basically I thought this is going to be really hard. Uh, if I want to do it, I'm gonna to have to move to LA, and that's terrifying. And uh, I'm clearly 
a total a-hole because <laughs> I want to be a director, so I should probably do something more humble and, and also not as terrifying. And um, so that led me on a kind of a winding path into graphic design. And I got actually got into graphic design because I liked being able to create something from scratch by myself. Film is super collaborative, which is awesome, but if you're just a PA, it's like you don't even really feel like you're part of the collaboration, you know. And so I was designing for fun just to do things. But then I but then I turned that into a job out of fear and out of trying to be trying to feign humility, you know, and um not be thought of as a ego egotist, you know. So um so then I got into you know, the tech world, and that was fun for a while, and then I realized that the people who are really into that are really into that, and um, I'm, I'm, I can do it, I'm capable, I'm, I'm pretty good at product design and development, but um, I couldn't shake this desire to write and tell stories through film. And uh, so I started doing some film work on the side just to scratch the itch, and then my wife asked me to collaborate with her on a concert film, and we ended up making a 45-minute concert film that uses narrative storytelling interweaved with the concert stuff. And it's very kind of strange concept. Uh, but she was basically like, I'll handle the onstage stuff and you worry about the rest. So I got to write all the rest of it really just from my heart and from what I was excited about and what, what my voice was. And it really effed me up, man, because... I can't go back, you know, and it, it sort of, it made me realize, you know, that for me, real humility is actually writing something from my heart, from my gut, and then trying my best and then putting it out there into the world, knowing that it's not maybe everything that I want it to be, you know, and uh, so... So yeah, I've avoided it as long as I can. I just can't avoid it anymore. So William, where uh, where online should people go if they want to like keep in touch with the things you got going on with the check one two three with the film that's coming out? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter way too much, so go there. Uh, William Price the third, which is uh, my handle is William Price I I I, and um, you know I have a, a Facebook page for the filmmaking, uh, and I put I post whatever I'm working on up there. And then, uh, you know, the Kickstarter, you can go to Kickstarter and search for the film, which is, again, To Catch a Falling Knife. Um, so, yeah, and then I'm on Vimeo. You can find me on Vimeo. Every, everywhere I am, I'm William Price, I, I, I. So, um, yeah. but don't Google that because there's an underwear model who shows <laughs> up, and he's killing me. <laughs> It's even worse if you search Billy Price. So, um, so yeah. don't do that either. Yeah, just don't image search for me. Yeah, I I didn't bring up your underwear underwear modeling career, but maybe we can. Yeah, no, that's not me. <laughs> that is not me. He's super inappropriate, dude. He's like reaching into his underwear and stuff. I don't I don't need I don't need people thinking that's me. People are like looking you up for for jobs and stuff. They're like, "Oh, this is right. This is what he's all about, huh?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
Thanks again to William for coming on the show. Anytime you uh, want to come back, you're more than welcome. Thank you guys for listening this far. You guys can head over to Kickstarter and uh, look up to Catch a Falling Knife. Fund the crap out of that thing. You guys are really good at funding Kickstarters. I know that for a fact. So uh, lend your superpowers to uh, other artists who need it. To Catch a Falling Knife, Kickstarter, William Price III. You guys know what to do. Thanks for listening. If you uh, liked what you heard, you can uh, send me an email. You want to join in the conversation. My email is uh, brokenlightrecords at gmail.com or you can just tweet me over on uh, the Twitter. That's at David Mantel. we got a website coming soon. Can't wait to uh, show you guys that thing. It's going to be real cool. You'll be able to find that at thebrokenlightshow.com and uh, brokenlightrecords.com. Um, but it's not live yet, so don't don't go there. But maybe like add it to your favorites or something now, and we'll get it going uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, if you like the show, you can uh, subscribe on iTunes. Just go over and click that subscribe button. And uh, if you guys want to leave a review, that is the most helpful thing that you can do right now to help uh, get the show noticed. It helps uh, people you know who potential guests on the show know what we're all about, know that people are listening, and that they like what they hear. Um, so that's the most helpful thing you can do if you want to support the show um, is uh, subscribe and, and leave a review. You know, five stars is uh, preferable, but, you know, hey, be honest. If I only deserve one star, I should probably know that. You know, if you're like, man, I just really hate uh, the way that you talk and maybe you should fix that, I, you know, I'll take that into consideration. And uh, maybe it's something that I'll I'll work on. But I, I, if you don't let me know, I won't know. So head over to uh, iTunes and, and do that. Hey, thanks for listening. We got new episodes every Wednesday, so uh, stay tuned for next week. It's going to be a great one. Thank you again to William for coming on the show, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.